0: Tent here on Radio Boise, KRBX 89.9 FM, Caldwell, Boise. I'm your host, Charlie Hunt. I'm a professor with the School of Public Service at Boise State. I am here with Luke Fowler, my co-host, also a professor uh, at the School of Public Service. How are you holding up there, Luke?
1: Uh, I'm making it. You know, it's been a fun little adventure, but, uh, you know, I find during uh, the pandemic, I get less emails and less people that want to meet with me, so I've actually been kind of productive.
0: Okay, so, you know, it's silver lining, perhaps, uh, to all of this. As you can probably tell, uh, Luke and I are being very responsible, social distancing, uh, chatting over Zoom here, uh, but we're going to do our best, as we always do on The Big Tent. So just to sort of give everybody a little update where we are versus where we've been, uh, last week when Jackie and I recorded around this exact time, we had about 65,000 nationwide cases of coronavirus uh, and a little under 1,000 deaths. Today, we are at over 200,000 cases and uh, nearly 5,000 people have died in the U.S. as a result of coronavirus. Clearly, things are happening really fast. They continue to happen really fast. Luke, what's sort of your sort of broad stroke sense of what's gone on in the last week, uh, particularly in the U.S.? What kind of what are we seeing out there and, and what's sort of causing this pretty rapid acceleration?
1: That's a, that's a really good question, right? Why have we seen so many explosions – I mean, this explosion of cases going on in the last week or so? And it really goes back to the fact that the incubation period, we'll call it, quote-unquote, um, lasts for several days. And so what happens is Charlie gets exposed, and then he's walking around and he doesn't know he's exposed, and he runs into somebody, and he exposes them, and this happens, you know, five or six times in, you know, a five-day period, and those five and six people go out. And then by the time Charlie realizes he's sick – that has extrapolated to hundreds of people. And so what's really happening is two things. One, there's a lot of people that are just now realizing they're sick and they've been uh, infected or that they've been exposed to this. And the other part is we're just now starting to actually test people. Um, because if we rewind back basically the first two weeks of March, we weren't really testing at any high rates. And so there were a lot of cases out there and there's still a lot of cases out there that haven't been confirmed, but we just weren't doing it. And now there's so much awareness that's going on. People are walking to hospitals and getting tested. And so clearly that's adding to the data. And so it's just this uh, exponential growth that is, should be expected. But I mean, this is the trajectory that every other country on the planet has gone through with this disease and really any other kind of infectious disease.
0: Yeah. And I, I think those are all really good points. And I think comparing to other countries is actually kind of useful here, or at least can give us some information just because, you know, uh, you mentioned it's followed kind of the trajectory of other countries. There are some other countries like China, South Korea, and even at this point, Italy, where things were really kind of quite, quite bad for a while, have actually slowly but eventually done a solid job sort of, as they say, flattening that Curve and slowing down the rate at which the virus seems to be growing, Um, whereas you know, as you mentioned, our the U.S.'s growth rate has really continued pretty much unabated, which is which is pretty scary. But as you said, could be due to sort of a host of things, whether it's increased testing or you know people going to the hospital or or things like that. And I I feel like it's hard to sort of judge exactly how i mean it seems like we've been pretty far behind on a lot of items here and we can get to what those are but it also feels like it's hard to tell exactly how well or how badly we're doing because you have you know a lot of increased testing which is a good thing and you have this social distancing and stay home orders which we're going to talk about which in theory should sort of act in the opposite direction so it's from a data perspective you know as you know we're data scientists and we're always thinking about this stuff it's hard it seems like it's really hard to tell exactly how we're doing
1: yeah exactly and it's really hard to track this stuff because again you're you're not talking about uh instant gratification here you're talking about lag times of days possibly weeks that go on before we realize what's happening right and so uh, i mean i think that's really going to be and end up uh, being a really important point as we look back at this and try to figure out where you know the pivotal uh, decision-making points were, right? South Korea is a country that I think is going to end up being identified as really a model for containment here because early on they went into very aggressive containment strategies, right? And so they've really slowed their rate. They, they've they done well in managing this and, and stopping the spread. Uh, China did it uh, really aggressive uh, quarantine. Some people have called these draconian measures. India has taken a, 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 a a nationwide lockdown in a very similar trajectory; um, those have done to to control some what they're facing, but it will came later after they realized that they were really in a bad spot. Italy's the same way. This explosions of death, uh, this explosion of cases and deaths, um, the backlash being really aggressive measures to stamp down on, on the spread of the illness, and so uh, I think the a big question which we're really only going to be able to judge in hindsight is where does the U.S. fall on this curve, right? Did we yeah. wait too late to put all this yeah. in place? Because the the states and the the and the and jurisdictions that really did this early on were the ones that stopped the spread from exploding early. Everybody else is playing pickup now.
0: Yeah, I mean, you see places like uh, the Bay Area, San Francisco, which are now like really slowing down, if not decreasing in number of cases. Uh, whereas obviously we see somewhere like, New York and frankly at this point even some of our rural areas like this is not going to stay an urban problem like this is going to expand to rural areas right
1: yeah I mean uh exactly there there's essentially no containing this virus at this point um It is also not a question of how many people get infected. It is just a question of the timeline in which those people get infected, right? Right. This thing is inevitable to a certain extent. Uh, And really what a lot of these measures are aimed at is reducing the causes of death. Because if you see like Governor Cuomo say that we're gonna run out of ventilators tomorrow, what he's really saying is, if more patients show up at a hospital, they are likely to die. And that is exactly what happened in Italy. So what we're trying to do with these containment strategies is spread those number of cases across the longest period of possible our time possible. So we're reducing the number of people that show up at hospitals so we can actually treat them. And so I mean that's really what is going to be the pivot point here. Is it the infection number of infection or the number of cases, it is how many people end up dying from this illness.
0: Right. The time for sort of uh counting up the number of cases and and trying to keep that number as low as possible or like we have to sort of it seems sort of silly to think about even just a couple weeks ago we like you know, President Trump issued this proclamation blocking all travel from everywhere in Europe except the UK. And it's pretty clear now, and and this isn't, you know, to blame him for that necessarily, maybe that was a good policy, maybe it wasn't. But like, clearly, that was never that was never going to be effective, right? Because we we had long past the point where we had so much community spread that now our concern has to be not necessarily the cases, but getting this protective equipment respirators and ventilators to hospitals to deal with a lot of this hospital overload that is going to happen and we're kind of we're already seeing you know especially in places like new york city that are really really starting to to peak in terms of what their their crisis mode is at, at these healthcare centers
1: yeah no no those are all really good points and as much as i would like to uh really i mean i think a lot of people are criticizing uh, president trump and his um his actions here and i think it's really easy to do in hindsight of seeing where the trajectory of these cases have gone and and where this is. Uh, I will say that public health experts have been sounding the alarm on this, but there was a lot of reason to doubt what this was going to look like in the U.S. And that picture is getting very clear now. And obviously, if we could go back in time, we would have said we should have acted more aggressively sooner. But I mean, again, Idaho confirmed its first case on March 13th, the same day that Governor Little uh, declared an emergency. I mean, look what where we are now. Like, there's now hundreds yeah. of cases. We have deaths in the state. I mean, this, this progresses really quickly. And ultimately, the only way to have, have stayed it off is to be able to look into the future or be able to tell the future, which is a little difficult to do. I mean, Charlie, you're smarter than I am. So maybe you can figure <laughs> it out. But I don't think most of us can.
0: Yeah. Unfortunately, I didn't get my PhD in fortune telling. Um but uh you know i'll I'll try and do better next time we're going to leave it there for now and we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to come back and talk a little bit about the states what states are doing and how they are uh interfacing with the, the federal government to try and uh, stem the tide of this crisis we'll be right back welcome back to the big tent here on radio boise i'm charlie hunt here with my excellent co-host luke fowler He's going to teach us a thing or two about uh, about how state government works in a crisis. So so, Luke, we've seen uh, just today uh, four more states, uh, Florida, Georgia, Mississippi and Nevada became the latest states to issue uh, statewide mandates to stay home except for essential uh, services and items you need to get, you know, like at the grocery store, there was some some Criticism that Florida in particular had waited so long, uh, it honestly does sort of seem ridiculously too late considering how old Florida's population is and how sort of susceptible they are to this. Um, We can talk about that. But basically where we're at now is that uh, 37 states and then another, uh, I forget how many, eight or nine states uh, or six states under uh, some sort of stay home order. It's about 294 million people. And ninety percent of the entire U.S. population is now under some form of a stay-home order. Uh, pretty drastic stuff, Luke. Uh, how did how did we get here? How have the states kind of uh, mobilized behind this kind of order so far?
1: Yeah, so that's a, a good question, and I think I've kind of talked uh, about this in kind of different um, different areas, policy areas, uh, over the last year or so on the show, and I always try to emphasize it that. Um, Almost no federal agencies are boots on the ground organizations, which means they are not out there giving out public services directly. What they tend to do is pass through money, provide guidance, provide oversight, provide resources, these type of things, and that all flows through state and local agencies. So uh, as much as, as we talk about what's happening at the federal level, the things that are going on nationally, particularly with President Trump, uh, relief bills and all this kind of stuff, the front lines of this battle are happening at the state and local level. Um, And so that's what makes the differentiation of how governors have responded to this very, very important because again, all of these stay-at-home orders, the emergency declarations, these are being issued by governors. Um, and so that is, that's really important in some of the timing that's going on with there and how governors have responded, um, particularly uh, governors as this has uh, reached their doorstep, as we like to say, right? Um, right? Going back, and I mentioned this to Charlie during the break, which is Governor Little declared a state of emergency on March 13th, the day that we confirmed the first case. That is really the trend across the country as confer- coronavirus cases have been confirmed. Uh, governors have declared emergencies and ramped up their responses. And there's some notable kind of uh, um, outliers here: uh, California, New York, Florida—all states that have had a lot of cases. Georgia is one of those as well. They waited till much later, um, but those are also the states that had cases early on, and they really got a, you know, a front-hand view or a front porch view of the growth that's going on here. Um, One of the other interesting things that I I think that is getting covered not as much in the media as these stay-at-home orders are the travel restrictions that governors are putting in. Um, Anecdotal evidence says that there are state troopers uh, in uh, Connecticut, Rhode Island, Massachusetts, Uh, that are stopping people with new york license plates uh, telling them to self-isolate or turning them around and sending them back um there is texas greg abbott in texas has rule have said basically that highway patrol men are going to stop anybody that comes in from louisiana at the state line is going to get them they're going to require to give them an address and they are going to be required to self-isolate for two weeks florida has stopped anybody from louisiana coming in so a lot of these uh uh, are basically governors are imposing their own travel restrictions
0: yeah i wanted to ask you about that luke because i saw rhode island my My home state where I grew up is the first place I saw this where state troopers supposedly were stopping people from New York and either turning them back or telling them to self isolate for two weeks. I I guess I wonder, like, is that it it sort of seems kind of analogous to what we were just talking about, where where, what the president did with uh, sort of restricting travel from Europe like is that is that sort of is that a reasonable strategy? I mean I, I I guess I guess I sort of wonder if the main cause here is community spread, so spread that's happening within particular communities, person to person. Is it really gonna stem the tide too much if we're blocking people from like other cro- just crossing what are, in the end fairly arbitrary boundaries between states?
1: Uh, you know, I think there's probably some arguments for it, but I agree. Like, I don't know if this is really going to make or break the deference for, you know, Texas or Florida or New York and all this other kind of stuff. Um, I think there's a, a certain degree of, of symbolic value here, though, in doing mm-hmm. these. Um, as you mentioned, uh, DeSantos, the governor of Florida, has been over a tremendous amount of pressure to do this. Uh, Tate Reeves in Mississippi, uh, again, I know a lot of people from Mississippi. My Facebook feed has blown up with people just attacking Tate Reeves, who was largely kind of a popular governor three months ago. Um, and when he came into office this year. Um, and so uh, I think there's been a lot of pressure from communities that are seeing this for governors to take more aggressive action because one of the things that's happening here is, uh, like this is, uh, as I said earlier, there's an inevitable amount that this is going to spread and all that kind of stuff. But there's a feeling of helplessness, I think, at the individual yeah. level. And being able to see these aggressive measures, I think there's a symbolic value to people feeling like the situation's going to be okay. Um, and so me and a colleague, Steve Udick have actually run some, um, some survey data this week or last week uh, that looked at this. And one of the indicators that we found is that for a lot of people knowing their governor declared a state of emergency, uh, made them feel more confident that, uh, everything was going to be all right, made them slightly more anxious about the situation, but generally made them feel like everything was under control.
0: Yeah. I've, I've seen, uh, I've seen other sort of similar polling data suggesting that Americans are very broadly in favor of really aggressive measures on this. Right.
1: Yeah. And I mean, that's kind of, in, uh, there's some important, uh, um, political ideological uh, basis and partisanship uh, that predicts kind of those attitudes. But in general, Mm -hmm. what we can say is that Americans are very anxious about this, um, that they want to see aggressive action because otherwise what they're doing is seeing on the news every night this increase of cases and it doesn't seem like anything's happening but then when we pair this with statewide stay-at-home orders it at least seems like there is action that they can take and there's action that other right. people are taking and that things are moving and hopefully this gets solved at some
0: point right so th- so this is what so that's what the states are doing a lot of these stay home orders um, and then you have a lot of governors sort of trying to work with the f- federal government and get aid from the federal government uh, Jackie and I talked about last week the the major sort of stimulus uh, aid package that the federal government that Congress passed and and president Trump signed late last week what besides those kinds of measures what you, you know you mentioned the federal government they they don't have lots of boots on the ground bureaucracies except maybe for things like the FBI and other law enforcement what are there things the federal government can do other than what they've already done are there are there ways that can help sort of uh sort of grease the wheels in the relationship between state governments and federal governments to help states deal with this
1: so uh that's a really good question right and and what i'll go back to um depending on on who you talk to and who your whose insights and analysis you're reading on this i think largely most people would argue that containment's not a strategy anymore um, that, I mean, this is just going to happen. People are going to expose. What we should really focus on is making sure that that exposure does not equate to death um, by making by managing our healthcare services, right? Um, and so, basically, we're kind of on an inevitable timeline here. Um, this is going to happen. There's no stopping it. So, one hand would be, can the federal government do anything to more aggressively slow this down? Probably they could do national lockdowns and all of that. Is that necessarily? Maybe, maybe not. Uh, The one thing that we could talk about the federal government doing that states don't necessarily have the power uh, to do is what they did during wartime, namely World War II, nationalizing industries, or even if you don't want to go nationalize industries, going to places like GM and saying, all you're producing now is ventilators. Um, And basically retooling every industry and saying, this is what we need and this is what you're going to do. I mean, almost to the extent of saying total warfare, where every economic and social process is aimed at, Stopping or mitigating the effects of this virus, and that is something the federal government does have the power to do, and the president can do it through executive action. Right? Um, are we there yet? I don't know, but it is a possibility of taking those kind of taking that that next step.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think I think to the extent President Trump has received criticism, it's sort of and and people have different opinions over how fast we should be doing which type of measure. Um, but certainly among folks who have been arguing we should have done more sooner, the, this question of things like the Defense Production Act, which is, you know, like you said, sort of basically ordering, uh, ordering companies like, like GM, I and mean, especially where when a lot of these companies, you know, they're not going to be making as many cars, because people aren't going to be buying cars during this crisis. So the, it seems like the the lack of things like personal protective gear and ventilators and things like that is going to really start being the major issue. And so, you know, maybe that is something that the federal government can do.
1: That's a great, great point about the, uh, the lack of protective gear. Um, but again, there's been a lot of debates back and forth about how that's being used and how it's being sorted. Um, I definitely federal coordination would help in a lot of this. But at the same time, every governor's out there thinking about their state. Um, and so there's a lot of jockeying, a lot of competition that's going on. That's something that Governor Cuomo out of New York has really criticized the federal government for not being uh, more aggressive in and trying to stop this competition between states.
0: Yeah, it does seem like, uh, you know, I was reading earlier today about this sort of bidding war that's happening between states for a lot of this, uh, for ventilators and respirators and personal protective gear in other countries. And so instead of having a coordinated federal response where, you know, the federal government, you know, goes and buys these items from other countries themselves for one price, we have like states being outbid by each other and then Leaving them sort of without any of this gear, and it seems like a, a not so efficient process. So maybe that's one area where the federal government can and maybe should step in in the coming days and weeks. And, and
1: I would just like to, to say, because I, I mean, I made this point to my class, uh, I guess on Monday, and I think it's really important to think about it. everything that we're seeing now is really well-worn paths of the way that federalism and, and politics around policy all work. We're just seeing it play out in a matter of days and weeks rather than right. years and decades. I mean, there's really yeah. great analogies between this and climate change. Um, and how all this is being managed. And so this is a really good case study to watch what happens when all of this stuff moves in a matter of hours rather than a matter of years. Um, And so none of this is new. And so for particularly people like me and Jackie that study state politics and federalism, like we look at this and go, oh, this is totally explained by what we've seen over the last decade in other areas.
0: Yeah, that's a really, that's a really, really great point. Uh, and we'll and we'll see how it uh, how it plays out in the end. So we're going to take uh, one more quick break, and then we're going to come back on the Big Tent and uh, and talk about Idaho, what's going on in Idaho, and what some of the challenges are for the weeks and months ahead. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Big Tent here on Radio Boise. I'm Charlie Hunt, back here with my co-host Luke Fowler. Uh, we are talking, of course, about all things coronavirus. Uh, We've talked about some national responses, the state response, uh, some of the issues with federalism, and now we're going to talk about Idaho, because that's where we are, Um, and because that's where we're seeing sort of a a more and more dire situation playing out, even though we're on the earlier end of this compared to some other states like, uh, like New York or Florida or California, we definitely have a couple of problem areas we now have uh, about five or six hundred cases and now multiple uh multiple deaths unfortunately um and we do have a couple of pretty serious hot spots uh as far as uh our counties. Isn't that right, Luke?
1: Yeah. And uh, I mean, clearly Ada at, uh, county Boise area is where, you know, we're seeing the most new cases. Um, it's because, well, this is where all the people are at in the state. Yeah. Um, there has been an interesting uh, article in the Washington Post today that talked about Blaine County, Sun Valley, um, which is seeing a huge growth. There's really uh, more or less the epicenter of this uh, disease in, in Idaho. Um, and you can probably guess why if you know much about uh, Sun Valley, which is it is a ski town. Um, And over the last several months, people, lots of tourists have been coming in and out of Sun Valley, traveling from all over um, California, New York, but also overseas. uh, And they have transmitted it to the local population. The other thing you have to know about Uh, Sun Valley is it's small and it's rural, and there's not necessarily a whole lot to do there. And so, when you're talking about that, you're having these people that are maybe asymptomatic, they are going around town exposing others, but they're exposing them in the same type of places. Um, they're eating in the same five or 10 restaurants that are all kind of small uh, in space. Um, and so it kind of makes sense why, I mean, again, it being cold there, um, a lot of the places people are spending more time indoors. So it kind of makes sense that why this has is, is, is gone so quickly through Sun Valley. And then from Sun Valley, it's spread to a lot of other parts of the state.
0: Yeah. And I mean, I saw uh, I, I saw on Twitter like the 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 official account for uh, Stanley, Idaho, is basically like everyone from uh, from the Treasure Valley, stay away. Like, don't come here. We don't have a lot of people and we don't have a lot of resources. And if you get a few of us sick, like it'll be the end of our town. So um, it, like I saw, I, like there was a, an Idaho Statesman article, I believe, that talked about uh, basically urging Folks from uh from Ada County from the the Treasure Valley, you know we might, f- the we city folk might feel uh sort of the impulse to sort of escape to the woods or escape to a small town where we don't think this can spread. But first of all, it can spread in these areas. Like look what's happening in Blaine County, and uh where we would actually be really putting in danger a lot of these folks in rural communities where. Like we were talking about earlier it's at this point it's just really really important to not let that like rate of cases increase so steadily that we overload especially a lot of these rural hospitals which are really understaffed so seems like a good lesson to take to heart for uh, for all the uh, Boiseans, especially the uh, Ada and Canyon County folks listening.
1: Yeah, and so that's actually been a trend that's gone on across the country, which has been has been pretty interesting, right? Is people fleeing city, uh, particularly wealthy individuals that have second homes. Um, I read a story this week about a, a small coastal community in North Carolina that's typically about 50,000 people. But during the summer months, there's 100 to 150,000 people there. And so they're worried that all these people that are tourists essentially show up, their hospitals and infrastructure is never designed to hold that many. They don't just spread the illness illness, but they increase the amount of people that are ill in the, the community. And it just has devastating impacts because they are just not set up to deal with this um, at their level. And so, uh, I mean, again, that the stay-at-home orders are really important because it's it's stay in the place where you are, because that's where the infrastructure designed to, to handle the population.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I mean, I mean we're seeing, for example, that uh, like in a New York Times article, I know we were just talking about off mic, that uh, th- they basically rank... All of the counties, three thousand some counties in the U.S. in terms of how, in terms of their growth rates in the in the virus per capita, and Blaine County is number three in the entire United States, behind only uh, Westchester and Rockland counties in New York, which we know are being really hit hard by this. So, um, I I will will be certainly continuing to to think and pray for our uh, Blaine County friends and and hope that they can get a handle on this because it's really uh, developing into a pretty pretty unfortunate crisis up there. Um, and I think probably we'll be unfortunately starting to see, this is kind of just the beginning, I feel like, for for Idaho. It, it does sort of feel like we've been a, at least a couple of weeks behind the rest of the country on a lot of these things. I mean, we saw, you know, you mentioned Governor Cuomo earlier of New York and uh, two or three weeks ago at this point, when things were really starting to get bad for New York, he made a point of saying, you know, this is not just New York, like where we are now is where all the rest of the country will be in three or four or five weeks. Um, And it's, that seems like a pretty prescient statement at at this point. And obviously we hope that's not, that doesn't uh, turn out to be the case in Idaho, but we should probably prepare for it to be the case uh, at some point.
1: Yeah. So certainly, um, like I said, I, I think the first official case in Idaho was uh confirmed case was March 13th. Um, and there's questions about confirmation because of the amount of testing that's going on and such. Um, so I, I think that normally that was going to put us about a week to week and a half behind a lot of the rest of the country. Um, Cause a lot of uh, the rest of the country were confirming cl- cases kind of towards the the first week of March. And so we're, there's this kind of lag that's gone as it's spread through the rural U S um, yep. and Idaho and Boise being in particular so socially isolated from the rest of the, of the country, um, so we're we're going to experience those same things, but the question is, can we flatten that curve and can we manage this and how quickly it spreads to the community in such a way that it reduces death as a, as a result and some of the social and economic disruptions that go along with that
0: yeah, that's right, so you know it's obviously if we haven 't been making the point clearly enough. For anyone who's listening, please continue to social distance and, uh, uh, you know, adhere to the stay home order as much as you possibly can so we can uh, try and nip this thing in the bud a little bit here in Idaho.
1: So on that point of social distancing, Charlie, I actually have good and bad news. Uh, So there is a a study that came out from a company called Unicast that looks at county level data for change in uh, mobility. I believe they're looking at cell phone data and some other stuff. Um, and basically rates everybody on from A to F, right? So Idaho, unfortunately got a D in this, which means that there's not been enough of people changing their average mobility, That people are still moving around on the positive note, uh, County got a B minus. Okay. Uh, people in Boise are socially distancing. They are reducing their amount of movement. So this is good. Idaho as a whole, maybe not. Um, Again, this might be partially because the number of cases in Boise as compared to the rest of the state. And maybe we're going to see everybody else catch up as this kind of hits some of these rural communities. But it does seem like there are some adjustments being made in in the Boise area. A lot of the other uh, kind of uh, uh, counties in the uh, county are also doing fairly well as well on this. uh, But definitely rural Idaho needs to catch up
0: yeah well I mean you know what i've I've been perfectly happy with b minuses in a couple courses in my life so i'll I'll take the b minus now but hopefully we can uh we can push that up to uh two a maybe we can get a little extra credit somewhere uh along the way
1: yeah that would be nice I mean certainly uh I want this to be over as badly as everybody else does, but we need to try to 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 plan this so we're doing as yeah. uh, being as safe with our community as
0: possible that's that's right good words to live by uh and, and those are the words we'll leave you with. stay safe everybody. Uh, you've been listening to The Big Tent. Uh, For Luke Fowler, I'm Charlie Hunt, and we will see you again next week. Stay safe.